You're listening to a live service from Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. All right, one more time, if you would, please open your Bibles, Matthew chapter 20, at least one more time with me. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, and we will read together from the text, Matthew 20, 20 through 28. Matthew chapter 20, 20 through 28. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, evidently mom was leading the charge, what wilt thou? She saith unto him, grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. Now what she was asking for was the seat of prominence for her sons. The only ones higher in the kingdom based on this arrangement of sitting would have been Christ. So mom was pushing. Verse 22, but Jesus answered and said, you know not what you ask. You don't know what you're asking for. And we'll come back to that. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, oh, we are able. And he said unto them, you shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And when the ten heard it, the other disciples, they were moved with indignation because or against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him. He took the opportunity to teach a few lessons to the entirety of the group after the two sought him out alone with their mother. Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister." And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Christ deals with his disciples even as he deals with us. It's correct to have an ambition to do something for God. It's correct to want to be utilized in the kingdom for the purpose of the kingdom. But we have to be very careful in our pursuit of ministry that we don't allow personal ambition to take over and become the impetus of why we do what we do. Sadly, much of the church has fallen prey to numbers, education, and money. We're trying to be the biggest church in town. We're searching for all the money that we can possibly do for whatever reason that may be. And we've fallen into the realm of thinking that education is the same thing as spiritual maturity. We've got to be very careful, ladies and gentlemen, to keep our motives pure and to keep our ambition centered on the kingdom and not just ourselves. But and I'm preaching to me, you can come along with me if you want to, we've got to be careful to make certain that what we're praying for is in line with what God wants to have happen uh, in our lives. All of us are seeking a part in the kingdom, but we must be careful not to let personal ambition have the rule, because when we fail to do that, when we fail to allow Personal when we allow personal ambition to take control, we fail to be the servants of Christ. And I want to minister to you this morning a message entitled, The Servants of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have once again to preach your word.
I thank you, Lord, for your word, how it instructs, how it guides. I'm asking that the true preacher and teacher would come once again and anoint us, O God, to teach and preach your word, to declare it without fear or favor, and to do no violence to your word, that the heart of the people would be stirred towards the truths of the scriptures. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Again, I I don't mean to come on a Sunday morning and scold you, to be honest with you. Uh, I I kept asking all the way, all the way driving here, Lord, can't I preach something else? I'd rather we close out revival swinging off the chandelier, even though I don't see a chandelier. Will you understand what I mean? But the instruction that comes from the Word of God is paramount. And what the Lord lays on a preacher's heart, they have to preach. There is no switching over to what we want to say or what we want to do. So I will preface my remarks to say again uh, what I said a moment ago. I'm preaching to myself. You can travel along if you want to. Because there's not a one of us that this message doesn't implicate and not a one of us that this message can't move in our hearts at least to cause us to evaluate uh, what we are praying about and what we are asking God for and above that the motivation. Why do we want what we're asking for? What are we looking for? Uh, First of all, um, we find that Jesus told his disciples, he said this when they came to him, the two of them with with their mother, uh, he said, you don't know. Do you know what you're asking for? Do you know what you're asking for? Now, let me just start off this morning asking you the same question. In your prayer time, do you know what you're asking for? Well, let's stop even before we get there and ask, is there an active prayer time? Uh, Because I'm afraid that uh, in order for this message to be impactful, we have to think about how we're praying. But maybe we need to encourage folk today to pray a little more than they spend time on social media. If I could get you to read as much of the Bible as you do your Facebook feed, I think we'd be probably spiritually pretty healthy. It's a good time to say amen. Uh, All of us are distracted. All of us move away. But the prayer time that we have as a believer, listen, as a believer, you have access by faith into the very presence of God. You don't need Pastor Steve. You don't need to call down to Baton Rouge. You don't need to call the elders of the church. In the name of Jesus, you have access to take your need, take your situation, take your prayer to God. And first and foremost, I want you to know you should be doing that. And you can do that. You say, well, I'm not worthy. That's okay. None of us are worthy. None of us are worthy. Christ has made us worthy. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you come into covenant with Him. You are washed. You are cleansed. You are justified. And being justified by faith, you have access to your Father. You ask in the name of Jesus, and immediately you enter into the throne room of grace. God is waiting to hear from you. I said, God is waiting to hear from you. He wants his children to contact, to ask, to seek, to knock. And we've said that Friday night. The message was entitled, Call Unto Me. God needs us to be praying now. He desires for us to be praying about the needs that we have and the forward thrust of our churches, of our ministries. We've got to be interceding for America. We've got to be seeking God now for the changes that are about to take place. It's wonderful that you've got the acreage, but you need to pray it through, Pastor. Every step, every decision, everything that you decide to do, ladies and gentlemen, you need to be taking it to the Lord. And so I'm talking to people that I hope and that I believe that I trust are praying, but I just have to emphasize it knowing in this atmosphere of the body of Christ, there's not a lot of people that have a specific time frame in the day where they set apart that time frame and start asking God for his help, for his favor, for his strengthening, for his guidance, for his leading. And I'm just trying to encourage you. If you're in covenant with Jesus Christ this morning, you, listen, you, listen, you have access to the creator of heaven and earth and sea and sky. I've said it earlier in the week, 
we oftentimes fall back on this thought. All I can do is pray. All I can do is pray. All I can do is walk into the throne room of the one that controls everything, knows everything, can do anything, and I have access to him. And when I call, he drops everything and listens exclusively to me. Can I say that your prayer life is vital? Your prayer life is something that you should take advantage of. And listen, prayer isn't always easy. Prayer can be work. Prayer can be hard sometimes. You, it feels like the, 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 the heavens are brass and you can't get through. But by faith, when you turn on that design or that desire to pray and you follow it through, God is listening. That's a good time to say amen. amen. God is listening. But do you know what you're asking for? It's interesting that these came um, worshiping. So again, I've got to ask us today, uh, when we come before the Lord, when we come before Him, are we, are we worshiping? Jesus said, pray in this manner, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When we come into His presence, there should be a thank you. There should be a praise. There should be a recognition of who He is. He's not on an ego trip. He doesn't need to have your say-so about who he is, but your praise, your heartfelt praise, recognizing him as your creator, recognizing him as your savior, recognizing him as the sustainer, recognizing him as your provider, recognizing him as your righteousness is what should happen. You come before him in prayer, and you come before him in praise. God's not telling his disciples when he says, what are you, you don't know what you're asking for. He's not telling them to quit praying. He's asking them to evaluate what they are praying. I'm exhorting you this morning to pray, and the text that we looked at is assuming that you are, but we want to take a look at what it is that we desire. Do we know what we're asking for. Jesus told him, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. One of the difficulties in a local church is putting people in positions of ministry. It's very difficult. Because if a pastor makes the wrong decision, he's got a mess on his hands. Because it's hard to put someone in a position, it's even harder to take that position away. But one of the things that we have in the church that is always a difficult issue is that there's a driving ambition in us as human beings to be in leadership, to be in charge, to be the one that has authority over people. And that is a driving urge that sometimes is honestly the result of the fall. It's the result of selfishness, the old me syndrome that we grew up with. Before you got saved, everything was about me, 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 and not you. Just me. And when we come into the church, oftentimes as a member of a local church, as a member of a local assembly, that same ambition, that same drive to be seen, to be recognized, to have a high status in the church is something that can drive us. And when you start saying, oh, Lord, <laughs> let me be the worship leader. I wish the pastor would ask me to preach getting awful quiet in here this morning. I wish the pastor would see my talents and my abilities and put me up to where he wants me to be. There's a fine line between a calling that starts 
with a desire. Now let me slow down for just a minute. If God's called you to do something in this church, it will probably start with a desire because he'll give you under, and if you're in right relationship with him, he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's New Testament theology. When you're in relationship with God, he's going to start putting something in your heart to make you want to be a part of something, to make you want to be a preacher, to make you want to be a singer, to make you want to be a greeter, to make you want to be in charge of the children or in charge of the youth. or There's something, This when I got called to preach, it started with a desire. You couldn't shut me up. There was a fire shut up in my bones. I, I felt it. I sensed it. I wanted to share with that. but And I wanted to share with people what Jesus had done in my life. And, and I felt that desire, but we have to be careful because as we grow in the Lord, one of the things that God does is he starts taking me out of the equation as he manifests his design for you, you will sense a desire in your heart to do something. You will sense it and you'll want it, but we have to be careful not to mix it in with the ego you know, now, you got to have ego because if you're going to stand up in front of people, you have to believe in yourself enough to stand up in front of people. But the ego that we have oftentimes drives us to promote ourselves beyond the position and the calling that God has intended for us. He, Paul said in Romans chapter 12, uh, he said that we should not consider ourselves greater than we think than we should. We have to be careful. So when the design in you from the Holy Ghost is there and you know that God has called you to do something, you're not quite sure what it is, you've got to check your motivation. You've got to be honest about your heart. You've got to be honest about why you want to do what it is you're doing. I'm not saying that what you feel and what you sense isn't of the Lord. You've got to figure that out. You've got to walk in the honesty of your integrity and say, okay, I've got these abilities, this talent, that could help in the church, that could work in the church, but am I doing this so that I can have a high position? Am I doing this to be seen? Am I doing this to be heard? Am I doing this because I just want to climb the ladder of the church situation? I, I, I don't want to use big words. I get stumbly if I do. And the disciples of Jesus come to him. The disciples of Jesus. Not a bad group to be in. Not not a bad group. Twelve only. Twelve. And out of the twelve, they're arguing about who the goat is. Who's the goat? Who's the greatest of all time? You've heard you you maybe I should have qualified that. Greatest of all time. Who's the goat? Who's, who's the best? Who's the greatest? Who does it? And John and James, the sons of Zebedee, get mom and say, we want it, you ask him. Well, what mother doesn't want to promote their children? Come on. Right? What mother doesn't want to see their children grow and go forward? And, and here they are, the Messiah is here, and they're rubbing shoulders with him. But there's ten other people that want to be the goat too. Okay, when we read the text, the other ten were mad at the first two that went and asked. And the reason they were upset was not because... They asked it because they beat him in asking because they wanted to ask themselves. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells us that as they walked in the way, even, listen, listen, even on the night of the crucifixion, the disciples were arguing in amongst the two of them, or amongst the twelve of them, who is going to be the greatest? If that's going to happen in the disciples, do you think it's not going to happen in Faith Worship Center? 
So we're dealing with something that needs to be addressed. When you talk about wanting to be something in the kingdom, you want to use your gifts, and I want you to, and, and you have a desire inside of you that, that needs to be expressed. God's put it there. But there's a growth process that has to happen before we're ready. Pastor Steve says he started when he was immature. We all start when we're immature. And we all start probably with the wrong motive when we start in ministry. In preaching classes, I'll tell every preacher that's starting to preach, you'll never start with the right motive. You always start with the wrong one. God works it out of you as you go. What should be happening is, see, at first as a preacher, we just want to be heard. Excuse me. Amen, Brother Larson. Preach on, brother. Teach it, brother. When we first start our ministries, oftentimes we just want to be seen and we want to be heard and we want to be recognized and we want to have that pat on the back. Oh, that was such a blessing. That's the ego that drives us. But as we mature in the things of God, we all start that way. Nobody doesn't start that way. Nobody. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Nobody doesn't start that way. So as we mature in the things of Christ, as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord, it moves, it should be moving from I want to be seen and heard to where I want to do something that will impact and build the body of Christ. James and John, oh, we want that position. Oh, we want, we want it, we want it. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking for. Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Can you drink of the cup? Because if you want to be utilized in ministry, there's going to come an execution. There's going to come an execution of self that has to occur because while the ego might stand you up, it's that execution of self that will actually promote you in the true kingdom of God. Well, I, I, I want to preach. I want to do this. I want to do that in the king. I want to do this in the church. You don't know what you're asking for. Because if you're really serious about doing something for God, God is about to step out and do some operating on your person and in your heart, taking you out and putting him in putting out your design, which is ego-driven, and putting in his design, which is servant-driven. I want to be effective in the body of Christ. I want to do something. If God calls you to be someplace and do something, he's giving you a, and I'll use this analogy, he's giving you a position on the wall. You're a guard. You're watching over the city. You're standing at attention and looking for the enemy. Your job is to protect the city. And man, when the pastor puts you on the wall, woohoo! Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And then he demotes you. What's your response? Are you already looking for another church because you don't have... The position? Or are you staying on the wall? Yeah, that's how we feel. He's got it right. Because when that demotion comes, it's not purposeful in the sense of trying to hurt your feelings. It's trying God working in us to get the ego pushed down and eliminated and the very love of God and the love of the things of Christ and the love of people to be birthed in you, there's an execution of self that has to occur. 
Oh, Jesus, I want to be on the left hand and the right hand. You don't know what you're asking for. Oh, I feel the calling to preach, and you're excited about it. And you should be. Not enough people truly call to preach that answer the call. But if you think that being called to preach is your road to fame and acknowledgement from human beings, you're pursuing it for the wrong purpose. See, I told you I'd rather preach something that'll give us floating on chandeliers. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking for. Do you know what you're asking for when you ask him to move you into a position of ministry? Do you know what you're asking for when you ask him to move you into a position in this church or any other church that utilizes your functions, that utilizes your gifts? I don't know that you'll have any workers when I'm done, Pastor. Do you know what you're asking for? I asked Brother Swigert once, what does it mean to be a minister of his caliber? And he looked at me and he just said, it means you become a target. You become a target for Satan. You become a target for the jealousies and envies of other people in the church. You become a target. Do you know what you're asking for? I'm just, I'm just asking you, do you know what you're asking for? Do you understand the ramifications of accepting position, accepting call, accepting pers- purpose? You not only become a target, but you also go through the crushing process. God can't use us the way that we come into this thing. He's got to crush us. There's a, there's a crushing. Do you know what you're asking for? There's got to be a crushing of self. And some of the circumstances and situations that we will go through as the servants of Christ, as those that are wanting and desiring to do something for God are going to feel like the end of the world. But in that crushing, you will learn how to depend upon Christ. You will learn how to rely on His grace. You will learn how to rely on the things of God and not on the things that men can provide you with. Do you know what you're asking for? You open yourself up as a target of Satan because now that you're sincere about doing something good for God and getting something done for God, that target Satan is going to have on your back is going to be prominent. And God has targeted you, but he's going to target you for change. He's going to target you for transition. He's going to move you from a person that is totally self-interested into a person that is people-interested and ministry-interested. Jesus told them, he said, you don't know what you're asking for. Now, I love the fact that I can ask for anything. Blind Bartimaeus teaches me that beggars can be choosers. Because Jesus came and asked him, what do you, what do you want? He's screaming and he's hollering, Jesus, thou son of David, what do you want? Well, he's blind, it should have been kind of obvious, but he still asked him, didn't he? What do you want? Do you know what you're asking for? Do you know what you're seeking? I've been with our ministry now for 35 years. There's been a lot of times that I just wanted to run away. 
There's been times where I felt exalted, and there's been times when I felt crushed. And in the times of crushing, you want to run away. Oh, Lord, you can't want me here now. You can't want me to be a part of this now. And there's been several times I've made plans to do something else. Because I didn't like the situation I was looking at. It wasn't comfortable. Maybe I felt demeaned. Maybe I felt belittled. I mean, I can go all the way back to uh, 1989 when Brother Swigert heard me sing and he said, Oh, we're going to take you on crusade. I said, Oh, wonderful. Told my wife, I feel like there's a singing ministry coming on. So they took me on crusade, and I was prison ministry pastor back then. Still played a little bit of rhythm guitar, so I was playing with the team in Lakeland, Florida, sang, and they even gave me a salary and gave me money. And I came back, and two weeks after I was back, they said, oh, we don't think it'll work. And I go, oh, well, do you mind if I just stay and the prison ministry but the ego busting that God will put you through challenges the motivation of your heart I've been let go of that ministry twice because they couldn't pay me I've been given positions that have been taken away And in it all, I had to ask myself, why am I here? And Lord, what do you want me to do? Because at the bottom of the foundation of my life, I have to operate on the marching orders of my Christ. I have to obey what he says do. doesn't matter what I feel like. If my feeler has been crushed or hurt or I've been offended or I feel belittled in any way, shape, fashion, or form over 35 years, I've learned through a variety of times and circumstances, i got to fix this. I've had to go before the Lord and say, Lord, you're going to have to fix this in me because I can't operate with a heart that's not right towards people. Like I said, I'm preaching to you, but I'm preaching to myself first. Do you know what you're asking for? You're asking for God to mold you and shape you into the person that is perfect for the ministry he's designed for you. Guess what? You don't get to choose. Oh, you have to respond to what's in you, that desire to do what God has given you to do, to be what God has given you to be. But you don't get to choose where that takes place. You don't get to choose where that, where that is done. And we've got churches all over America, maybe even in this city, that have been started by people that did not like the position they had in another church, and so they run off and start First Baptist Church, Second Baptist Church, Third Baptist Church, First Pentecostal Church, Second Pentecostal Church, Third Pentecostal and they never were called to start that church. It doesn't last, and people gather together for a period of time, and it falters and stumbles. You are in a situation where God... God has proven himself over the last 15 years. You're on the very verge of doing something brand new, and God needs people who will allow themselves to be crushed and formed into a molding process that will compile you as a unit to do something powerful for this area. But you're going to have to be willing You're going to have to be willing to be a part of something that might not be the most widely known and seen part. 
Are you willing to submit yourself to that? Oh, yeah, pastor, we want to do that. We want to do that. We want. Do you know what you're asking for? To be that person that's in the mix of a local assembly, you're going to have to go through Gethsemane. And it doesn't matter what role you play. What do you mean by that? Gethsemane. Jesus in the garden that night goes into a place of prayer. And he sees the baptism that he's about to be baptized with. He sees the cup that he's going to have to drink. And he came to do it. It was his desire. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He knew what the cross was going to do to him. He knew what the elements were going to do to him. He knew what the spiritual separation from his father was going to do to him. He knew the pain and the hurt. And it was so sorrowful to him that his soul, he told his disciples, was sorrowful unto death. When you ask God to put you in ministry, do you understand what you are asking him to do? And Jesus, under the pressure of knowing what the cross would demand, cried out to his Father, not my will, Lord, but thy will. If there's any other way, to prepare the world or bring the world salvation, then let me bypass this. And you and I that have been called into the work of God, that are a part of the work of God, are called into this same situation. God's going to take you to your own personal Gethsemane, not just once. But again and again and again, why? Because it's this chastisement, this, 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 oh, how shall I say it? It's the unfolding, the unveiling of ourself to ourself. And we see what needs to be changed. And we realize we can't change ourselves. But time and time again, Pastor, I've seen him do it with me, brought me to the place where he exposed me to me and said, Do you still? Want to be what you told me you wanted to be? Do you still want to preach this gospel? Do you still want to do the work of God? And now, don't please don't get me wrong. It's not one big life of misery when you start living for God and you start working for God. But if you think that you can escape Gethsemane, you're mistaken. Do you know what you're asking for? Do you know what that still small voice on the inside of you is leading you to? I'm trying to tell you this morning that it's leading to Gethsemane. You're going to have to drink the cup and be baptized with the same baptism in the same cup that Jesus was. It's not about you and me. It's not about an important position. It's about being used for souls to be one and lives to be changed, sinners to meet Christ. Do you know what you're asking for? You're not asking to be seen. You're not asking for prestige. You're not asking for power. The other ten were angry when they heard what James and John had asked about. So Jesus pulls them all together and he redefines for us what greatness is. Greatness, again, so many times to the church means numbers and money, education, people. Success as the world defines it. 
But if we're truly going to be the servants of Christ, we really want to do what God has called us to do. We really want to become what God wants us to become. Then we have to understand Jesus' defining of greatness. Let's take a look at it, verse 25. Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. If you think that what you're desiring to do will give you that kind of authority and position, you don't understand what greatness is in the eyes of God. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be the greatest, the highest position, let him be your minister. The word in the Greek is literally deacon, the one that goes about and takes care of all the physical things. When I first came into a Pentecostal church, I remember being led there, and I've told the story a thousand times by a man I used to <laughs> I used to deal cocaine to. He found out I got saved and showed up in showed up in my uh, my job. I was an all night cashier at racetrack they call it raceway now i think and i was somewhere about the four o'clock hour in my 7 p.m to 7 a.m shift on a saturday night and he was out on a binge and he came in and i when i got saved i got saved reading this huge bible and it was the only bible that i had so i took it everywhere with me it was like the rock of ages bible that our ministry gives is it it was that big. It really is. I still have it, you know. Um, but it's the only Bible I had, so I took it everywhere. And this guy comes in, and he sees that Bible on the counter where I'm cashiering all night long. And he, he looks at me, and he says, I heard you got religion. Where are you going to church? And I told him, and he laughed at me. He said, that's not where you go to church. I'll show you where to go to church. Well, I'd been in a local church for a few weeks, and it just hadn't met my design. It hadn't met the, the fabric of what I was hoping for. People were, I'm sure, saved, but they weren't. I mean, I'm just out of drugs and alcohol. I'm, I'm, newly, I'm excited about the things of God, and this wasn't exactly an excitable church, and here comes this drunk, here comes this heroin addict, this guy that's on a three-day binge, and says, I'll take you to church. I said, okay. <laughs> and he shows up at my house. I got off at 7, and he shows up at my house at 9 o'clock. He's a little drunker than he was at 4 a.m., but now he's got his three-piece suit on, and his cowboy boots are all buffed up, and he's looking good, and he said, I'll drive. I said, no, let me do that. You point. And we went up into uh, a little church that nobody hardly knew he knew. Probably 45, 50 people there on a Sunday morning. Assemblies of God, Lighthouse Church, Mount Juliet, Tennessee. And I stepped in the back door, and I'd never been in a Pentecostal, spirit-filled church before. And the pastor stood up in the front and said, well, let's pray. And I'm expecting one person to pray. And all of a sudden, everybody in the congregation stood up, hands up in the air. They all started praying at once. I thought, what, what, where am I? But I sensed the presence of God, even as I had sensed his presence in my house those three and four months as I was being transformed into a Christian by the power of the Holy Spirit. I knew the presence of God, and I knew that's what I was experiencing. And a lady right in front of me stood up, was standing up, all of us were, and gave a message in tongues. Man, I had never heard anything like that at all. But I knew, again, by the Spirit of God, that it was right. 
That morning, while I was waiting for my friend to come and guide me to where I was supposed to go to church, I'd ask the Lord some questions, because when you come to the Lord, you have a lot of questions. Things are changing, and there were three specific questions that I asked him that morning, and lady stands up, gives a message in tongues, and over here on the other aisle, someone else answers it, interprets what is said. And in the interpretation, all three of my questions were answered. I didn't know what I had stumbled into, but I knew that I had stumbled into God. The lady that stood up in front of me was Sister Millie. Sister Millie used to come in every Saturday night and vacuum the church. She cleaned the stools and the toilets, and she cleaned up the foyer and made sure that Sunday morning everything was ready to go for the service. She lived in a cracker box of a house. You've seen them, the shotgun houses, and, and uh, had invited me later for a lunch, which was... Campbell's chicken noodle soup and a grilled cheese sandwich, which was wonderful. Sister Millie couldn't afford a car. She drove a moped to church with a dress. She was simple, and she was powerful in the things of God. It was that person that stood up in front of me and gave a message in tongues the first time I heard it. Let him that is great among you be your servant. Be your deacon. Be your minister. Oh no, I, 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 I can't clean toilets. I, I, need to, I need to preach. Jesus said, whoever would be great among you, let him be your servant. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your bond slave. If you want to be the greatest, the highest position, you have to be a servant. If you want to be the first, you have to become a bond slave. I've already described the bond slave once this weekend. I won't go through it all again, but the bond slave was someone who, whose will was swallowed up in the will of his master. Do you know what you're asking for? When you ask the Lord to give you a ministry, do you know what is in store for you? I can tell you that if you allow the process to continue and you are transformed into what God wants you to be and you become effective servants, you become effective ministers, your will will be swallowed up in the will of the Master. You'll find yourself at Gethsemane saying, not my will, Lord, but thine be done. And you'll find yourself at Calvary allowing God to take out of you the things that are hindering you from successfully ministering to the people God has sent you to. Do you know what you're asking for? The good news is, if we could just find some people that would rather be a deacon and a bond slave rather than the first and the greatest. Something wonderful could be done for God because now the church isn't ego-driven. The church is spirit-led and spirit-driven. And when people walk into the midst of an atmosphere where people have been changed into servants and bond slaves into deacons and bond slaves the presence of God is there you may not be the biggest church in the world and you may not be 
what most people consider the most important church in the world. But the truth is, if you allow yourselves to be changed by the message of the cross into that servant, into that deacon, into that bond slave that God wants you to be, when you build this new church, the opportunity for people to come in and meet the one that's changing you into a servant, into a deacon, into a bond slave, will be a powerful, powerful entity. You know what I know about you is that you're already in that process. It just sometimes we need a little help getting over the edge. We need a little help in our own Gethsemane to say, Lord, not my will, thy will be done. And I hope that this message this morning helps you make that decision. Some of you may run because now you're, try, you're finally seeing what it's going to cost you to do what you need to do. But others will say, not my will. Thy will be done. And the end result is a powerful, powerful, wonderful entity will be released into the earth, into the spiritual atmosphere. Won't just be one sister Millie standing up, giving a message in tongues. It'll be dozens and dozens and dozens of servants and bond slaves willing to be crushed so that other people might get to know the Savior that makes my life worthwhile. Would you stand with me? Singers, musicians, come on. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him. If you were blessed by this message, you can find us on Facebook at Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Our contact for prayer or donations is by mail, Faith Worship Center, P.O. Box 296, Porsche, Arkansas. 72457. Through Messenger or PayPal, you can find that link on Facebook also. Thank you and God bless you and your family.